Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I just want to, first of all, thank you all for yesterday. Um, the Well, not yesterday. It would be Friday. I've got my days mixed up a little bit. But I just want to thank you all for the day of prayer. It was a blessing um, both to pray for you all, but also to see the people that sent in the prayer requests. I, um, as your pastor, I, I do my best to know you all and spend time with you all, but there, there's so many of you all I, won't, I don't get an opportunity to spend time with. And through the prayer requests, I learned so much. There are many of you that are facing surgeries. There's some of you that are facing some very challenging seasons in your life. And um, it was doubly special because I brought my daughter with me and we were able to pray together all those prayer requests. So I just want to thank you for sending them in. And so we had an opportunity to pray for you. And I would say keep sending in the prayer request. Um, our, our session meets specifically uh, to pray for the saints. And that's something that's a pleasure for us to do. It's something that, that we want to do as part of your shepherds. And so please continue that. We'll, we'll probably do another one in the next two or three months, uh, maybe a little bit longer. Also want to thank David Murphy, um, who's, I don't see him in here. He's probably downstairs or watching online. Um, he put a lot of effort into that. So I want to thank him for that and all of you all that participated in that. Praise the Lord. We are a praying church. I want you all to know that prayer is at the core of what we do. And I encourage you, um, as God gives you the opportunity to please pray for the saints. That's one way that tangibly we minister to one another. So uh, Ephesians chapter five, uh, I want to say one more thing. It's been how long? Like two and a half months before we've been in the book of Ephesians. And some of you are like, Pastor, I thought, you know, you don't like doing long sermon series. I do not. Um, but we had to stop for Christmas. We had to stop to do the generosity series and some other breaks in between. And so for those of you that, that don't remember where we're at in the book of Ephesians, remember I said that Ephesians 1 through 3 is kind of, um, Paul talks about how to become a Christian. You know, scholars call that the indicative, right? He spends uh, chapters one through three talking about how do you become a Christian? Then chapters four through six, talking about how to live that out or the imperative. So you get more, thou shall do this, or you should do this, more imperatival language in chapters four through six. And we're right in chapter five. And so that's where we are today. So um, that's the last prolegomena I have. And then now let's read God's word and, um, and see the fruit that God has for us here. Ephesians chapter five, verse one, and I'm going to read down to verse number 14, maybe slip into verse uh, 15 and 16 a little bit uh, today in the teaching. Um, so give now your attention to God's holy, inspired and errant word that is fruits for your soul. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity of covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, 
has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them for the shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Well, all flesh is as grass and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the reading of God's word. We thank you so much for the singing. It was beautiful to hear the saints lift up their voices to you. Father, we thank you so much for the, the word just being read. That's such food for our souls. Father, I thank you so much for this fellowship that brothers and sisters can gather together in the beauty of holiness and worship together. Father, I thank you so much for the saints that pray for our ministry and for us individually in here. What a grace and a blessing that is. And now, Lord, this is your word. and These are your people. Unite them together, Father, that we may be blessed. And whatever it is, Lord, we lack, please give us. Whatever we don't know, remind us of. And whatever it is that we need, please fulfill in us today through the reading and proclaiming of your word. In Jesus' precious holy name, amen and amen. Now you might realize over the last three weeks, we've done a series on generosity. And then now that that series of generosity is over, we've uh, come to a passage that talks about sexual immorality. And some of you are wondering, Pastor Dennis, um, that's, that's like a complete 180. You know, you all are talking about money, and, and now you're talking about sexual immorality. And I want you to know that's not too far apart from one another. Actually, it's, it's actually connected in a very powerful way. First of all, I've shared with you this before. The early church was known for two things, purity and generosity. That characterized the life of the early church. They were people who were pure people uh, in their sexual dealings, but also they were people that were tremendously generous. In fact, one writer put it like this. They were promiscuous with their money, but not with their bodies. That's how he summed up the church of the New Testament. And so those two things are connected, but they're connected in two ways as well. If you notice the passage, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, Paul puts together these things. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as it is proper in the saints. In other words, he's saying that we as God's people 
in terms of our money, we shouldn't be covetous. In other words, we shouldn't keep it to ourselves. We should be generous with it, but also we should be generous in our sexual purity as well. And that's in the text, and that's why it's natural and providential that we talk about it. Now, let me say something up front. Whenever we talk about issues of sexual immorality, and whenever we talk about issues of greed or money in a church, walls tend to go up, right? They do. Because when the church historically has talked about these things, they've talked about it in a way that I think might be a little bit unhelpful, and some of you have experienced that. They, you know, the church, when they talk about sexual impurity or when they talk about issues of money, they tend to be, they tend to do it with truth and no grace, right? That's one way of doing it. And then they tend to do it with either grace without truth. And both are wrong. And one of the things I love about this passage is that Paul talks about these very difficult things, these things that, to be honest, destroy lives in a way that is filled with both grace and truth. And that's what I want to give to you today. Now, we can't go through the entire passage. What I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of grab some, some hooks that Paul puts on. So if you look at verse 1 and 2, he talks about being imitators of God. And then toward the end of the passage, he talks about wisdom. I'm going to start to talk about those two things, because those two things are important to understand if we as God's people are going to live lives that are pure before the Lord. One of the things about the church today is the church is steeped in impurity. And you see that everywhere that you look. A pastor's falling here, a ministry leader's falling there. Within the church, people are getting divorced because of immorality. We as God's people need to pursue holiness in all that we do. And that's why passages are, are like this are so important, because Paul digs deep and says, hey, if we are going to be the people of God, if we're going to change the world for Christ, if we're going to be the witness that God has called us to do, we need to be people who are pure, and we need to be people that are generous. And so we're going to look at um, the two things. What does it mean to be imitators of God? And then secondly, how do we walk in wisdom? that we may be able to pursue purity in our lives, all right? So those are the two things that we're going to look at. And then next week, I'm going to look at uh, verse number three on down and look at the sin specifically. But I'm going to make reference for them as, as I go on. So if you're taking notes, the first one is, how do we be imitators of God? I love that word. By the way, who all in their Bible, instead of imitators, have followers? Yeah, there's some of you. That's okay. That's okay. Not a terrible translation. But um, the word there is actually close to the word um, to imitate or our English word to mimic. And, and what Paul is saying here that's so profound, I wish I had like a whole month to dive into what that means, but unfortunately I only have several minutes. So here's it in a nutshell. Paul says that you and I need to mimic God. We need to mimic God. Now, notice in the passage, it says, therefore, be imitators or mimics of God as beloved children. I want you to underline beloved children, because that is even more powerful. You know, um, all of you that have children know this. Children imitate us. 
You know, if you ever like have a project that you're working on and you're hammering something, you know, the child comes with their little hammer and they want a hammer too. Or if you're in, um, you know, you're trying to cook something in your, uh, you know, in, in your kitchen and your kids come and they want to cook something too. We're natural imitators. I remember my wife, uh, when she had our first son, Caden, she would sit on the couch and she would nurse Caden and she would put something over her and, and she would like try to like read something or look at something. And before long, my daughter, my second daughter would come and she'd be dragging her baby and her, and her you know, her baby and she would drag her blanket and she would climb up on the couch and she would lift up her shirt a little bit and put the baby right on her belly button and cover it and she was nursing her baby and 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 we took a picture of it because it was so cute I was like oh this is cute you know she she's being a mom she's nursing her uh, fake baby if it were but she was also doing something else powerful that I think each and every one of us miss you were made to mimic you were it's in your DNA you can't help it Children are more open about it, more visible about it. Adults were less open about it, but don't, don't mistake. You, you pattern your life after something or someone. You really do. The, there's a biblical, actually, there's a biblical foundation for this, and it's called being made in the image of God. Remember in Genesis 1, where God says that he will make man in his own image? That's what it means. You are made in the image of God. Therefore, you intrinsically were designed by God to mimic him in every way. Now, you know, some of you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, well, Pastor Dennis, that's odd. Well, how do we mimic God? How do we be like God? Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his commentary on this, said something that I thought was pretty profound. He said, you know, we all have the instinct to mimic God but we all don't understand how we're called to mimic God. And one of the things he said is, you know, there are attributes of God, right, that you and I cannot mimic. We cannot be omniscient. We cannot know everything, though some of us try. We can't be all-powerful, although some of us try. We, we cannot be omnipresent, though some of us try. We can't do it. We don't have that capacity, but that's how man wants to image God. We want to be everywhere. We believe we could do anything, and we believe that with the internet and with learning, we could learn everything, but, but we can't. We can't image God like that. But then Lloyd-Jones says there's one way God specifically calls us to image him, and that's in the area of morality. God says, be holy as I am what? Holy. Be perfect as I am what? Perfect. That has to do with morality. That's how God wants us to image him. In the area of morality and of purity. In fact, Paul actually works this out in Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't mind turning back there. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, Paul says this. 
and to be renewed. So he's talking about how do we become more like Christ and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. I love how I think it's the message Bible. The, yes, the message Bible says it like this and working in, in itself into your conduct as God accurately reproducing his character in you why why is it that God made you why are you here on earth have you ever thought about this why is it that when you became a Christian immediately you were not taking up into heaven that's because when God left us back here on earth he left us in such a state that we were supposed to image and mirror his goodness and mercy and love and kindness that's who God is. Now, what is God's character? Well, God's character is that he's morally pure. God's character is that he's a forgiving God. And we're supposed to reflect the, the, that forgiveness. God's character is that he's a generous God. And we're supposed to reflect that generosity. He's a patient God. And therefore, we're supposed to reflect that patience. He's a God that believes the best about us. And we're supposed to reflect that he's a God of joy and we're supposed to reflect that over and over again. The Bible tells us these are the things we're supposed to reflect in the world. Recently in Psalm 27, 4, I've been enamored with David and he makes this statement. He says, um, one thing that I desire from the Lord, not will I seek after that I might gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. I've spent an inordinate amount of time thinking about that verse. I really have. And, and I've been trying to think, David, what do you mean you want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord? That, that seems like such an awkward statement, but it's such a wonderful statement. Because you know what David is saying? That when you, when you think about God and when you reflect on who he is, there's something beautiful about the way he loves us. There is something majestic and powerful about the way God loves sinners that is not replicable anywhere else in the world. And David says when he comes into the house of the Lord, he feels that reality so strongly. He just wants to reflect on the beauty of the Lord. Well, you know, Paul takes it a step further. Paul says he just doesn't want to be in the presence of God. He's calling us to reflect that beauty wherever we are, in our churches, in our homes, wherever we go. We're supposed to mimic God. Now, let me ask you a question. Who are you mimicking? Why don't you pause for a moment? Just pause for a moment. And I want you to ask yourself, honest reflection here. Who is your life patterned after? Now, now don't, don't be mistaken. I, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying if your life is patterned after something, because it is. Whether you understand that consciously or subconsciously, your life is mimicking something. I'm not asking you if you're doing it. I'm asking you, who, who are you patterning your life after? Who is your life a reflection of? Because this is what Paul is doing. He's putting a mirror up to us and he's saying, or is your life reflecting the beauty and the grace and the love and the mercy of a holy God? 
Now, if you ask that question and you're being honest, you might be sitting here today and saying, Pastor Dennis, I'm mimicking the world. I know I don't love the way I'm supposed to. I know I'm not patient the way I'm supposed to. And to be quite honest, I, I don't think consciously that I mimic the reality of the holiness and blessedness of God. Now, that's, that's where you are. You might be wondering, well, how do I change? How do I, how do I get there? Paul tells us actually in the next section, he says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and I love this, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. You know, I had somebody come recently, and they were talking to me. They came to CBBC, and they were like, man, you guys talk about the gospel a lot. And I'm like, absolutely, because the gospel is everywhere in the Bible. You can't get away from it, right? So what, what is Paul saying here? Paul says, look, if you want to mimic God, if you want to be like God, then you have to walk in love. Well, what does that mean? He gives us an example of that. As Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, pause. Whenever we come here, we often think of Christ's sacrificial service, what we call his passive obedience. Passive comes from the Latin term, meaning passion, meaning, meaning to suffer. So we normally think along those lines. That's not exactly the point Paul is making here. The point that Paul is making here is that Christ's life evidences what it means to reflect the goodness and beauty of God. In this one sense, his life was deeply sacrificial. That's his active obedience. When Christ walked on earth, he walked on earth as an accurate reflection of who God is in every way imaginable. He was loving, he was patient, he was kind, he was forgiving. And that's what the scriptures say here. And this is why it's so important for us to realize we cannot have love without truth because Christ came in grace and truth. Both need to be together, and that's, that's clearly seen in Christ, that Christ walked on earth, lived a perfect life. He was tempted in every way possible, and the Bible says, yet without sin. That's a powerful love. That's a love that's grounded in the person and work of Christ and his love for the Father. And so I ask you the question again, who are you mimicking? You know it's the case you mimic who you love? You mimic who you love. You mimic who you admire. And, and Paul is saying, if that is the case, do not mimic the world that is steeped in sexual immorality and impurity and in covetousness. You don't want to live that way. You want to live to reflect the goodness and the grace of the Lord. So that's the first point. Do you, do you mimic God? The second point is simply this. Are you walking and exercising wisdom? Notice with me, um, as you go down the passage, and like I said, I'm not skipping the middle. I'll come to that next week. So you got to come back next week, because this is a two-part series, right? I could have tried to give you all of it today, but that would have been too much. That would have been too much. But I want you to drop down and notice the important reality of wisdom as we look at this matter of, of addressing sin in our life. So notice with me, first of all, in verse number 10, 
Paul uses this word discern. He says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And then he goes on in verse number 11 and, 10, 11 and 12, and he says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And then he uses the word again in verse number 12, to expose. And then in 15 and 16, he talks about unwise and wise. Now, if you write in your Bible, underline all those words, because all those words go together. The Bible talks about the importance of wisdom in addressing sin, that we need to be wise. If I could say it a different way, Paul is calling you to be self-aware of your life. And let me ask you a question. Are you self-aware? Are you aware of the work of the Spirit in your life as a Christian? Or maybe you might not be a Christian. Are you aware of when you're sinning? Are you self-aware enough to know when you are crossing boundaries with the opposite sex? Are you self-aware enough to know when you are being unloving or unkind in your speech? Are you wise enough to know when you're being selfish? Are you self-aware enough to know when you've drank enough or eaten enough or when you're acting in an addictive manner? Are you wise enough to know when you're being covetous? See, the whole point of biblical wisdom is to give you discernment and make you self-aware about how you're living your life. And most of us miss this point. And, you know, we know this to be the case, don't we? How many of you inside here today know really intelligent people? I mean, they've gone to Ivy League. They, they have amazing jobs. They're, they're heads of their company. They practically, they, some of them own their own company. These are intelligent people, but their lives are an absolute mess. You know them. And here's the deal. What, what, is, what should that tell us? That should tell us something very important. There's a huge difference between worldly wisdom and biblical wisdom. Worldly wisdom is a lot like Jeopardy. Right? You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? You know, Jeopardy, you just learn stuff to just spit it back. It's a very Greek way of learning. I, in fact, I remember a few uh, months ago, I think this happened last year, a Jeopardy contestant, these Jeopardy contestants had, um, were shown a biblical verse, and I think I wrote it down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it was Matthew 6, 9. And the Jeopardy contestant uh, were supposed to give uh, a fill-in-the-blank answer. And they said, our Father, who art in heaven, blank be thy name. And none of the Jeopardy contestants guessed the right answer, which is, hallowed be thy name. And these were incredibly intelligent people. But the fact of the matter is, they weren't intelligent in the way that the Bible calls us, which is learning how to use the wisdom that God has given us to live our lives wisely before him. You know, I look around this room, and I know you all, you all are highly educated people. Some of you have multiple degrees, college professors. The college president of Covenant goes here. I had to, you know, throw it out as a plug, you know, just. Some of you college students are top of your class. And every time I talk to you all, you all blow me away with your wisdom and knowledge. And if that, you know, and some of you all are super creative too. My goodness. And I look at you all, 
And we are the people, because we're so intelligent and so capable, should live lives of purity, right? We shouldn't be struggling with sin, right? We all know that's not the case. See, you need to understand there's a difference between being intelligent and smart and knowing a bunch of things and then taking that information and actually living wisely in the world. And let me say this, that takes the power of the Holy Spirit. That takes the atoning work of Christ. We don't play jeopardy with God's word. We don't just learn it in order to spit facts back to each other. We learn it so that we can love our spouses well. We learn it so that we can love one another well and practice forgiveness. And can I say this too? Learn how to overcome our disagreements with one another. We learn it so that we can tell ourselves no. We learn it so that we can accurately reflect Christ well in the world. That's the purpose of God's wisdom, to do that. That's why Paul says in here that, that uh, in verse number, I think it's verse number nine, or 10, sorry, he makes the uh, eight. He says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. That's the purpose of wisdom, to bring us to a place where we're doing what is good and right and true. And yes, the purpose of wisdom also is to be really good at math or really good at building things. That's why God gave you that, to be really good at art and science and all. Yes, that's, a, that's one purpose of wisdom. But the chief purpose of your intelligence, the chief purpose of your creativity, the chief purpose of your ability to make money or, or to do whatever it is God has gifted you to do, play music, doesn't matter what it is, the chief purpose is to glorify God through your life. That's the chief purpose. Let me say that if you're not doing that, if you're not using your wisdom and your intelligence and your giftedness to do that, you're missing the mark. You're missing the mark, Paul says, because all it will lead to is, is sin. Now, I want to leave you with one thing, just, just to show you the power of the gospel. Let me brag on God for a moment. Okay. I know that's what all like the trendy people say. I, I don't say that for that reason. But, but seriously, let me brag on God for a moment. Notice the connection between verse number two and then what Paul says in verse number 14. And Paul loves to do this. Paul loves to, to, to bookend things together. So he talks about the atoning work of Christ, right? And here, here he's also pushing back a little bit on, on the active and passive obedience of Christ. And then in verse number 14, for anything that becomes visible in light is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Hear me now. I don't know where you're at spiritually in here. Some of you I know because I walk alongside of you, but I, I will suspect that there are things you have yet to bring out into the light. That you have sins, um, either it's bitterness or unforgiveness, pornography. Um, you have sins that you are just, you, you're just, it, they're in the darkness. And one of the glorious reality of the gospel and it says here that Christ gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So you know what, know what Paul is saying here? 
that it doesn't matter where you are on the sin spectrum. The glorious reality of the gospel is that Christ took care of those sins. And when, when you put your full faith and trust in Christ, right? He atones for those sins. Man, like, you know, like, just think about that for a moment. I, and I love that it says, it says a fragrant offering. Literally, it says Christ, Christ's offering smelled good to God. And, and the interpretation of that is this. Because Christ smells good to God, you no longer, if you're in Christ, stink before God. Isn't that awesome? You know, sometimes, uh, you know, my kids run in and they've been outside and my wife and I joke around. It's like, man, you smell like the outdoors. That's what sin makes us smell like. Makes us smell awful. We're not a sweet smelling aroma. We're like stench in God's nostril. In fact, that, that, that actually comes up in the Old Testament. We stink before God when we're steeped in sin. But the beauty of the gospel is that Christ came. And his sacrifice was the sweet-smelling savor before the Lord. And, and when that's applied to you, you no longer stink before God. You smell amazing. You smell like roses. You smell like the best cologne in the world, and then some. And so, again, I, I don't know what you're struggling with in here today. I don't know what your particular sin that you're nursing, but that stinks in the nostril of God. And, and inviting you now to come and, and experience the forgiveness and the grace and the beauty of what it means to be in Christ. Notice the language that he uses here. He will awaken you from your sleep. He will raise you from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Shine on you. He will expose all the filth and then clean it off so that you are perfect before your Lord. Then the gospel is amazing. Father, we thank you so much for the beauty and power of the gospel. That even though at times we stink before you, Christ, a sweet-smelling savor, comes, washes us clean, and makes us as a sweet-smelling savor before you. Oh, Father, help us to desire with all of our heart and mind, help us to desire to be imitators of you and to walk in wisdom, that we may be a people categorized by purity, and by generosity. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.